Hello and welcome to Lodcast. Today's episode is on stress and mental health in the legal profession. And while this is an evergreen and ever-important topic, it's been exacerbated for many people in light of COVID-19 and the general anxieties and uncertainty of 2020. It's an episode that explains to you the relationship between stress and mental health, the trends we're seeing in the corporate world, the problem of presenteeism, evidence-based strategies to improve your own mental health, and where we hit the target but miss the point. To help us navigate and understand this vital topic, I was delighted to be joined by Professor Stuart Carney. Professor Carney is the Deputy Executive Dean and Medical Dean at the Faculty of Medicine at University of Queensland. By training, he's a liaison psychiatrist. Now, I reached out to Professor Carney because amongst his many achievements in the mental health space, he was instrumental in overhauling the medical curriculum in the UK to include a mandatory mental health placement for training doctors. Mental health is a topic he's been thinking about, researching, and actually helping to move the needle on for many years. This is a short, sharp, and super actionable episode. In the show notes, I've added links to organizations that can help you if you need to talk to someone about your own mental health. As you'll find out, talking about mental health and being connected is just one of the important evidence-based strategies to help you. Here's Professor Carney. Professor Carney, welcome to, to Lodcast. It's great to have you here. And while you're not the first professor on the show, you're the first medically trained professional. So, so by way of introduction, can you tell our listeners a bit about who you are and what you're up to at the moment? Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. So I'm a professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia. Uh, my key role is as Deputy Executive Dean and Medical Dean, which means that I have responsibility within our faculty for the medical program and for clinical research that we undertake in partnership with hospitals and general practices. But, uh, but also I trained as a consult liaison psychiatrist, uh, and that means that I'm a psychiatrist who works in the general hospital, caring for people with comorbid mental illness, whether that occurred before they came into the general hospital for their physical health needs, or whether it occurred as a consequence uh, of uh, whatever condition they're being cared for. Great. And, and so today we're going to talk about mental health. Now, this is a topic that affects everyone, and, and many of our listeners are legal professionals, uh, whether they're junior or senior. Uh, they tend to experience stress on a fairly regular basis. What do you think is the relationship between stress and mental health? It's a good question, Mark. Uh, and I think in answering that question, it's probably important for me to define uh, what I understand by the term stress, because it, uh, it does mean different things to different people. So the working definition uh, that I use is stress is what we experience uh, when the perceived demands on us exceed what we think uh, we can cope with uh, or we can deliver. Uh, and I think it's worth recognizing that stress is experienced by all of us uh, and it's associated with sort of physical symptoms, sort of usually a sort of sense of tension and also sort of psychological sort of symptoms, sort of uh, headache or sort of, sort of mental sort of tension. And, uh, and Mark, I think it's... Uh, um, goes without saying that a little bit of stress uh, can help us get things done. I mean, we'll have all have experienced a bit of stress to get us through that critical interview or, or an exam uh, or as we use, are approaching a deadline. But stress in and of itself is not a diagnosable mental illness. I mean, mental illness is a term we would reserve for, for those things which have characteristic symptoms. Uh, and people experience them for a significant period of time and they have a, a major impact uh, on sort of day-to-day -day functioning. But... Uh, if the stress is intense, uh, it could be a sort of a major loss event, bereavement, or a traumatic event, such as a sort of a major accident, or it lasts a long time, 
uh, stress can increase the risk of mental and physical illness. Now, I'm suggesting here that stress sort of can lead to sort of mental and physical illness. I think it's also worth pointing out that people who, for example, uh, are living with sort of mental illness can also feel stress. Uh, but that the mental illness in and of itself diminishes our capacity, uh, our perception of what we can cope with, uh, and therefore the mental illness in and of itself can be stressful as well. So it works both ways in, in seeking to unpack that relationship. But I think what's most critical when sort of we refer to stress, mindful that a bit of stress can be helpful, it can get us through those sort of uh, those important uh, things in our day-to-day life, but chronic stress is the problem. Uh, that sort of chronic stress, sort of stress, over a long period of time uh, can impact uh, mental and physical health. It it affects our ability to fight infection. It affects the health of our hearts. It can affect our libido, our reproductive sort of system. It causes headaches, difficulty sleeping, um, high blood pressure, or even uh, depression. But in sort of of unpacking that sort of further, I think it's uh, important to recognize that the relationship between stress and mental health or mental illness is complex. There are lots of factors at play here. There are personal factors. Uh, what I found stressful five, ten years ago may not be what I find stressful today. There are environmental factors, uh, the support structures that we have, the environment in which we're working, the quality of the team with which we're working, the culture at work, but also the stressor itself. Uh, so, so I think the relationship between stress is complex. Uh, that sort of mental illness can cause stress, and stress is associated uh, with mental illness, and there are lots of factors uh, which come to play uh, in determining uh, whether it's going to have a sort of a, a longer-term impact on us. Well, Professor, thanks very much for unpacking that uh, in such a clear way. Before your current position as, as Deputy Executive Dean and Medical Dean at UQ, you have quite a long list of achievements, and, and many of those achievements do focus on mental health. And one which strikes me is your role in broadening the UK training of foundation doctors to include a mental health placement. Do you think we're now taking mental health seriously enough? So I think we're certainly taking sort of mental health more seriously. Uh, but uh, um, as a psychiatrist, obviously, given my sort of uh, particular interest in this, I'm, uh, it won't surprise you if I recognise that there's more that we can do. I think first and foremost, we're clearly getting more comfortable having conversations about mental health, mental illness. Um, we clearly have a long way to go combating stigma, but it's great to see um, uh, the willingness of bosses, celebrities, government ministers talking openly uh, about their own struggles. Um, but I think we also need to focus on the culture of our organizations and, and also recognize that there are indeed evidence-based strategies uh, that we can sort of bring to bear to make a difference and that it's everybody's responsibility. It's not just the responsibility of government or our boss. We, as a team, as members of the workforce, have a responsibility too. And indeed, the evidence suggests that certainly when it comes to uh, evidence-based strategies that can make a difference to improve mental health, they're more likely to be effective, more likely to be successful if we, as members of the team, uh, are part of the team that is implementing them, adapting them to our own particular circumstances and championing uh, their use. But if I could just sort of talk briefly about the uh, the work I did uh, in the UK training of, of doctors, mm-hmm. uh, the broadening uh, of uh, of the foundation program. The foundation program is a period of time in a, in a junior doctor's education, which sits between uh, medical school uh, and specialist training. Uh, and uh, one of the reasons why I invested a lot of time and effort um, in my academic and clinical life in sort of uh, in sort of working on how can we 
uh, ensure that all sort of medical graduates have more time to train in, in, in mental health was a sort of a recognition uh, that sort of the way in which we train doctors. We do a lot of stuff at medical school about the importance of chronic conditions. We do a lot of stuff at medical school about the importance of mental health. And yet when we send them into the workforce, we preferentially deploy them uh, in our hospitals uh, and uh, particularly caring about caring for individuals with, uh, with, uh, with physical illness. So there's sort of a couple of things which really sort of struck me and colleagues, and that is 30% of people uh, in hospital uh, have a coexisting sort of uh, mental health issue, uh, and that people with severe and enduring mental illness, people with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and severe recurrent depression die on average 18 years earlier than the general population. And that's not because of suicide. Uh, that's, uh, that accounts for about 15% of the premature mortality. The majority of that premature mortality is as a consequence of physical health issues uh, and a failure, perhaps, as a system to adequately support and care for people. So the intervention uh, in, the ed- in the education continuum was about trying to sort of address that balance, to raise the profile of mental health and ensure that all graduates uh, from medical school in the UK had an opportunity to sort of to reinforce and develop their skills, confidence and capabilities about working with uh, and supporting people with mental illness. I mean, it'll take some time to, to see whether that's born fruit, but it is part of that sort of culture change and recognizing that all of us have a responsibility, not just to care for our physical health, but also our mental health as well. Great. Thanks for explaining that. And I think we, we might get to some of those evidence-based strategies you, you talked about earlier a bit later on in this piece. But now I wanted to ask you, from your experience, both as a clinician and now as a leader in a fairly large organization, where do you think that we hit the target but missed the point in relation to mental health initiatives? That's a great phrase, and uh, and, and certainly I remember that was a sort of a favourite phrase, um, hitting the uh, the target but missing the point of the chief executive of the National Health Service when I was working in the in the UK. You're right, uh, Mark. We do have a tendency to uh, um, to sort of t- to measure the easy stuff, measure activities, uh, and not the outcomes, and I'm. Not going to pretend for one moment that it's easy in healthcare education uh, to sort of to, to capture and measure uh, what's really important. Um, but yes, we do tend to spend a lot of time measuring uh, what's easy, such as in healthcare throughput, number of people seen, uh, and not what matters. I mean, sort of, did people get better or in the workplace? Um, uh, did people make a difference? Are they productive uh, in the education sector? Uh, do they go on to uh, to lead a fulfilling uh, life? Uh, so uh, um, I think one of the bits of evidence that sort of has been particularly influential for me was a report from PricewaterhouseCoopers here in Australia, Creating a Healthy Workplace, uh, which, uh, which highlighted that uh, mental health conditions cost the Australian workplace $10.9 billion each year. And they estimated that the biggest contributor uh, was presenteeism, i.e. being at work, uh, but not being productive. So I sort of mentioned that because I think sort of it's very easy, perhaps, for us in sort of uh, in, in large organisations uh, to sort of to focus on measures such as uh, the number of days people take off. Uh, but if we just focused on absenteeism uh, and didn't sort of focus on systems to support and promote mental health, uh, we would indeed uh, be missing the point. Because just because somebody's at work doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're as productive as we would like them to be. That, that's brilliant. And actually, that segues perfectly into my next question. Uh, we're now living during a global pandemic, and we're seeing a global forced experimentation in how we work. For many of our listeners, the past few months now, they've been working from home and in a suddenly socially distant lifestyle. 
what are your hopes and fears surrounding this new normal that we find ourselves in? That's a great question. Um, so I think, um, yes, I mean, the last few months have seen a significant uh, change in the way in which we work and, and, and a significant acceleration in new ways of working. I mean, meetings held using online platforms like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, uh, within healthcare, uh, telehealth. Uh, we've seen, I suppose, a dramatic growth in the use of telehealth in many ways, accelerating what um, many in sort of policy, government, uh, academia uh, had anticipated we might see within sort of 10 years. So as a consequence, for example, within sort of healthcare, um, patients uh, can now uh, engage with their doctors uh, sort of virtually. This enables us as sort of doctors uh, to sort of triage their care, work out uh, whether they need to sort of to come into hospital or not, and also help people manage uh, their long-term conditions, uh, sort of the 50% of Australians living with at least one long-term condition. But I think critically for us in Australia is that sort of uh, uh, the growth in telehealth and its sort of preferential use over the last three to four months has not only uh, limited the spread of COVID-19, i.e. the opportunities for people to sort of come into contact with other people, particularly uh, the more vulnerable members of our society, but also helped us to better manage that tyranny of distance, uh, sort of connecting people living in sort of regional, rural uh, and remote Australia with, uh, with the healthcare providers uh, in our sort of regional and capital cities. So what do I hope for? Um, so I hope that sort of some of the advances we've seen in the last three to four months uh, will continue. Uh, telehealth, uh, using online platforms like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and some of the online meeting etiquette uh, that we have learned uh, about when to speak, when not to speak, uh, how to sort of uh, uh, to make ourselves known to the, the facilitator of the meeting. Uh, but also, I think what I'm also hoping for, that we won't return back to the sort of old ways of working. That, for example, um, that what uh, online platforms have enabled us to do is to sort of to meet with colleagues around the world. Uh, that I hope uh, that uh, that sort of uh, in the future, we won't need necessarily uh, to sort of to get up early, uh, to travel to that capital city for a one-hour meeting, and then get home uh, very late. I mean, don't get me wrong, Mark. I think it is important that sort of we do, we do come together, we do have significant meetings. But when we do have them, uh, let's make it sort of count. Uh, let's make it a sort of a, a full day of meetings or a couple of days of meetings, uh, so we can continue to cement and build those relationships. And with the time that we're not uh, uh, traveling unnecessarily to that one-hour meeting. Hopefully, this will enable us to be, to be more present uh, so we can spend more time with family and friends. Great. And I'm just, I'm just wondering, thinking about to your earlier remark around the PwC report uh, and the kind of cost of mental health to the workforce, in particular that one of the key drivers being presenteeism, I just wonder this new normal we're living in obviously um, – as you, as you talked about, there's been an acceleration in, in a number of trends, and, and one of those is remote working, working from home. Um, do, you, do you hope that that will also accelerate the kind of abandonment of this idea of presenteeism and, and kind of will start to measure the right things, measure deliverables as opposed to uh, time spent on a particular task? I hope so, uh, but I think, it, I mean, uh, this is going to be challenging uh, for us. These are uh, can indeed be difficult things to measure, but it's not beyond uh, our capacity, our capability. And uh, I, I do agree with you, Mark. These are certainly things that we need to be focusing on. Um, and let's move away from the idea of people being behind their desks from 8 o'clock in the morning to, to 6 p.m. in the evening. It, it is and has to be around trusting people uh, to do the right thing and, uh, and, and get things done. Great. Now, I just want to circle back to um, these evident 
evidence-based strategies you mentioned earlier. So, so given your background as a, as a clinical psychiatrist um, and without seeking actual medical advice from you right now, what are your top tips um, for looking after one's mental health? So it's a sort of great question and uh, um, uh, anticipating that you would ask that question, I think the sort of, uh, there, are, there are quite a few things uh, on my uh, on my list, which draw upon sort of uh, available evidence, but I think first and foremost, it is a sort of a disposition, a sort of a mindset, and I, and I think the sort of the key advice that I'd give people is to sort of to try and be kind to yourself. Uh, it is to sort of celebrate the successes um, uh, and don't dwell on the setbacks, uh, the things we didn't manage to do uh, in a particular day, um, uh, and sort of building on sort of what we know about evidence based strategies such as cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, challenging some of the negative automatic thoughts that sort of uh, uh, can sort of color and uh, and impact sort of uh, how we see ourselves and how we see what we have achieved. So first and foremost, uh, be kind uh, to yourself. I think one of the other things uh, I would sort of highlight, Mark, is the importance of um, of registering with a GP or, or family physician. And it may seem a bit odd for me to start off with this, but this is something I sort of do reinforce uh, with medical students. Um, uh, and I think it is important that all of us sort of develop some of those strategies uh, so that if we are affected by mental or physical illness, we know what to do. So identifying uh, a doctor, a healthcare professional, uh, a, a team who you're comfortable working with makes it much easier sort of, uh, um, uh, sort of, sort of to know what to do if your bandwidth is, is affected uh, uh, due to mental illness. So having a clear sort of strategy about what you would do sort of if, if, if you needed help. I think other other areas and sort of building on what we know about sort of uh, um, cognitive behavioral therapy as a sort of a vehicle to sort of to manage uh, sort of mental health and stress, uh, sort of pay attention to how you're feeling, uh, sort of watch out for some of the sort of the warning signs uh, of stress, uh, difficulty sleeping, increased drinking, irritability, sort of uh, getting, getting um, more angry, uh, these are important sort of uh, signs and sort of symptoms. Uh, so hopefully they can sort of trigger us uh, to go and do something about that. And amongst doing something about that, uh, the importance of talking, talking to friends or your GP, that person you've identified uh, who you can go to uh, when you're sort of beginning to struggle. Um, I think there are other areas which I would sort of highlight are the importance of setting boundaries. Um, and it's something I need to sort of get better at doing as well. And that's um, uh, practicing saying no. Uh, it's a sort of um, it's very easy to take more and more on and become more and more stressed. Uh, but it is important to learn how to say no, particularly when you're feeling uh, that you've taken on too much. Uh, and building on that, the importance of sort of separating sort of work time uh, from home time uh, and strategies to sort of to assist in that. The importance of exercise can't be underestimated, even if it's just going for a thirty minute walk uh, every day, uh, as well as uh, making time for hobbies trying something new, could be meditation, uh, could be reading a book, but sort of finding strategies to, to switch off. Great. Thank you so much. And I'm wondering, you just at the end there, you mentioned the importance of, of, of hobbies and, and I guess leisure time. Uh, do you have any hobbies that you'd like to share with our listeners, uh, Professor? So, uh, I mean, I like, uh, I like reading um, and, uh, and particularly sort of uh, uh, biographies. I can sort of immerse myself in, uh, in other people's lives, in other, in other eras and other times. I uh, get some sort of relief, uh, but also some insights into sort of, uh, into hopefully so we don't make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Also, used to love going to the cinema. Uh, that's been a bit restricted uh, sort of recently, but um, uh, now binging on sort of box sets uh, on uh, on the TV 
uh, and uh, and now sort of adjusting to the sort of the new normal. It's great to uh, to get back out to the gym and, uh, and and get a bit of exercise. Well, Professor, um, thank you so much for taking the time today to to talk us through uh, many of the things surrounding a men- mental illness, mental health, uh, stress in the work- workforce, uh, and talking about measuring the right things, which I think is is crucial. Uh, before we go, are there any final comments that you wish to wish to add? There are probably a few things I'd want to say. I mean, I just can't underestimate the importance of sort of uh, being kind to yourself. And I think it is a sort of a disposition, a sort of a mindset, and something we need to remind ourselves of uh, every day. Um, but also the importance of keeping connected. And I think sort of the importance of keeping connected uh, has been sort of highlighted uh, during the sort of the, the stresses and, uh, and, and challenges of the last three to four months. Uh, so the importance of having that sort of circle of friends, uh, your GP, people you can contact, uh, so during the good times uh, and the more challenging times. And I think finally, um, whilst it is important that we sort of uh, ask ourselves, are we okay? Ask each other uh, whether they're okay. Uh, it's to recognize that it's okay not to be okay. Uh, there are things uh, that you can do and people you can speak with uh, if you're not okay. Thank you, Mark. Professor, once again, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I hope you can get out to that cinema again soon. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lodcast. Please don't forget to subscribe so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. Lodcast is brought to you by LOD. LOD pioneered the very first alternative legal service in 2007, and we continue to lead the exciting market we created. We support the best legal teams in the world with our brilliant legal professionals, services teams, processes, and technology. Together, we find new ways to boost the value that in-house legal teams deliver today, tomorrow, and into the future. So thanks again for listening, and if you have any feedback, please feel free to email lodcast at lodlaw.com. See you next time.